Welcome football fans. Buckle up for another hard-hitting episode of Player 54 Podcast, a show focused solely on the XFL. From a sunny Southwest Florida studio, here's your host, Michael Lathrop. Hello, football fans. This is episode 87, Combine Discussion. This episode is brought to you by our friends at True Victory. If you are not perfect, if you have ever struggled, if you have ever failed, if you have ever been the underdog, if you have ever doubted yourself or been doubted by others, if you want to get better, be better, and make our world better, this is the perfect brand for you. Founded by U.S. military veterans, True Victory is a sportswear and streetwear brand dedicated to building everyday champions on and off the field. True Victory is not simply a company, they're a cause. Its purpose is to transform lives and elevate humanity through the power and unity of sports, positive stories, and serving others. They are dedicated to the game, the grind, and the globe. But most importantly, they are dedicated to you. If you want to strive for something better, while proudly showing others your determination, grit, and supporting people like yourself, check out the True Victory Shop by simply clicking on the link provided in the show's description and notes and enter the code PLAYER54 at checkout to receive 15% off your purchase. This past week was an interesting week for the XFL and its fans. As usual, we have several new league developments. In addition, Vald Business Development Officer Stephen Borden joins the show to discuss Vald and its relationship with the XFL. Also, XFL board writer Greg Parks returns to discuss the XFL Combine in Arlington, Texas. But first, we have those developments to cover. So, let's get to it. On July 24th, former St. Louis Battlehawks special teams coach Tori Woodbury confirmed on Twitter he has joined the Houston Roughnecks staff in the same capacity. On July 25th, the XFL released a statement from CEO and President Russ Brandon in response to reports of the Houston Roughnecks leaving TDECU Stadium. The following is from Russ Brandon. The XFL is working with the University of Houston to determine the availability of TDECU Stadium for our games in 2024 as the building undergoes renovations. If we determine the stadium is unavailable to accommodate our home dates, we will find a new home in the area for the coming season. The XFL loves Houston, and the Roughneck Nation loves the XFL. We aren't going anywhere. On July 25th, the XFL Combine began with interview sessions and some testing of offensive prospects. On July 26th, the combine continued with offensive prospect drills and finished testing, as well as defensive prospects took part in interviews and testing. On July 27th, the combine continued with defensive prospect drills. On July 28th, XFL analysts shared several notable players had been added to XFL rosters. Hours later, XFL insider Mike Mitchell clarified those players were assigned to XFL teams however, had not officially signed contracts with the league. Mitchell followed up that XFL conducted a rights draft with each of its teams. These rights additions are conducted like that of the National Football League's waiver claims. Although some of the assigned players have agreed to potentially join the league, others have not. I am not going to list the players assigned due to the quantity and its unofficial status. If you would like to learn more of whose rights have been assigned by each team, I recommend you follow 
XFL Analyst on Instagram and Mike Mitchell on Twitter. As I have previously mentioned, we will now be joined by Vald Business Development Manager Stephen Borden to discuss Vald and its relationship with the XFL. Welcome, Stephen. I appreciate taking the time to come on to the show to discuss Vald's relationship with the XFL. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. It's a pleasure. It is always interesting to learn new things about companies, players, whatever, leagues. But in this case, it's your partnership. But before we dive into that, I always think it's very important to kind of set the table, so to speak, and get a little bit more information about you and your role at Bold and what the company, essentially in a Cliff Notes version, what is it about? Yeah. So I have an, an American football background, uh, played college football at University of Kentucky and spent the next couple of years in and out of NFL tryouts, uh, ultimately never landing on a roster as many of the, the XFL guys will be familiar with. But during my time at Kentucky, we were kind of one of the first universities to adopt a formal sports science program with, with athlete tracking technologies, the GPS kind of units that you guys see when you're watching and it shows how fast Terry Kill you know, ran, he got up to 22 miles an hour or whatever. Uh, and so I, I had some exposure to athlete tracking technologies and long story short, when my career ended, my playing career, I was kind of looking for what to do next and stumbled into just through some connections I had in the tracking technology space, a, a company called Vald Performance at the time. Now it's larger and it's just simply called Vald uh, with a performance wing. Um, and they were looking for somebody to kind of manage their Western half of the United States their pro sport, elite sport, health and tactical organization clients. And Vald is, so obviously I ended up taking that role, uh, thankfully, one of the better decisions I've ever made. And what Vald does is produce, as I've said now, athlete tracking technologies. It expands much bigger than that now, uh, but these are human measurement technologies that uh, they're used largely on the health side as well now. So physical therapy clinics, uh, but of course, in the context of this conversation, I know we're we're talking elite sports, so XFL, how somebody like XFL would use it, or you know, we're in close to th all 32 NFL teams as well, is managing the fatigue and performance of players and hopefully maybe preventing some injury potentially and maybe risk mitigation of injury and then managing the recovery process if an injury does occur to an athlete having objective data that that the coaches and, and performance staff can lean back on to determine, you know, is this athlete ready to go, et cetera. It's always interesting because there's all these different things out there. And I think as a listener of a podcast or a fan of a sports league, you have like these catabolic technologies and breakaway data technologies. And everyone's always like, okay, technology is technology, but you know, it's not, I mean, there's differences, right? Everyone's honing in and trying to find out the little, advantages to every little aspect and why things tweak as time goes on. I know there's that old adage, if it's not broken, don't fix it. But as we evolve as people, sports science, as you had mentioned, it just changes so much. I mean, we, people used to drink water. Gatorade came into it. But before you know it, that all of a sudden there's a bunch of other drinks out there to replenish your electrolytes and get you know help you with your peak performance. Well, drinks are part of it diet's part of it well here's the science part of breaking down how to figure out why people are doing what they're doing or for us to have a better understanding maybe not why but we understand the person better so we know how to tweak their approaches so i know i'm kind of going my own little tangent here but it's it's always interesting because this is not just a phase 
in sports, right? This is going to be the new norm as we keep learning more, as time continues to evolve, essentially. I mean, there's that term that we keep hearing about, well, humans evolve. Well, so don't sports and businesses and everything tied to it. So I think it's always interesting to get that. And you had mentioned how you're tied, your company is tied into the National Football League. And I had noticed in my research that you're linked with a bunch of leagues around the world, like top high-end leagues. So this is obviously something that's not just a developmental league or minor league that's looking to dive into something. Okay, well, we're going to try to do something different just to make it look like we're doing something different. This is obviously just the way it is. And for somebody like the XFL to be partnering with you, is this kind of the norm that you're seeing with these developmental leagues, these minor leagues, if you will? Are we seeing more of these level of professional sports leagues in this realm as well? Or is the XFL kind of ahead of that curve? So it, it always comes down to budget. I think if you asked any any organization, whether it's a high school, you know, small developmental league, do you want you know a set of force plates in your training room? Do you want almost all of them would say yes. Um, it always comes down to budget, and I'll say that we're, we've gotten to a place where Vault has created cost-effective options for organizations like that. So we are seeing more adoption in some of these smaller, more developmental leagues. Obviously, XFL doesn't have the same budget as NFL teams do. That said, David, they're a decent size organization, and we've been able to build a really good relationship with them starting from before XFL actually even launched. So, yeah, I think, again, it just always comes back to budget, but we're getting there. So you mentioned before they launched, so you guys have been involved in the aspects of the 2023 season, not just for this combine and leading into the 2024 season. Yeah, so Vald actually, it dates back to, I've known Sean Hayes, he's the head strength coach there um, at XFL, and our director of performance, I think is his title. He was with WWE previously. So I've known Sean since for several years now. Uh, we brought our Vald technology into WWE, which was really cool. Uh, and then Sean, when he took the role at XFL, called me, you know, the day it happened. Um, and we started working on, you know, getting Vault technology. He he had had obviously plenty of exposure to it at WWE. And so we wanted to work out a way to where XFL could adopt this tech. And yeah, so it's been a long time coming. Uh, I want to say January of this year. Yes, earlier this year, I was in Dallas uh, when all the players reported and we did some testing with all the different teams. And, you know, we tested, gosh, close to 500 athletes or something like that. So that was pretty cool. So right at training camp is everything was launching. Yep. And if you actually, I was on Instagram live just a minute before we started recording. I don't know if they're still going, but they're live right now, XFL. And I could see one of my colleagues, Joe Zia in the background. Um, They're testing all the guys on our force plates and could see Sean Hayes. It's cool stuff. I know that's always intriguing. I always try to find out because sometimes there's press releases of who they're involved with and partnered with. And sometimes you don't get it and you find out that things have been kind of in place for quite some time. And it's just always interesting as to why there's press releases for some and not others. And I'm not here to split those hairs and dig into those rabbit holes or whatever. It's just, I always find it intriguing because there's so much more going on behind the scenes. And it's funny that you're kind of mentioning that on the Instagram live that you can kind of see some things. And sometimes I don't think people would understand what those things are they're exactly seeing. But here we kind of get a small sliver of understanding what some of that could be, especially with Vold's participation. I know you just kind of give us some cliff notes, some you know baseline understanding of what you guys do. And I always think it's pretty important now that we know the combine's happening. And 
we're going to be able to tune in and watch a lot of this on the YouTube stream and stuff for the next couple of days. We got the defensive session, the offensive session. So what are we going to see with Vold's participation in these combines? Now you had brought up force frame, but I also know I've seen some what, human track, smart speed technologies. Will each of these technologies be included in this combine, this two-day event? Or are there other ones? And could you kind of, without giving up your trade secrets to the company, by no means we're not asking you to do that, but do you kind of enlighten us what some of these technologies that you guys offer and the XFL is trying to take advantage of, what are they and what can they possibly do without kind of giving us the science, the 100% science behind it? Yeah, I'll stick to the two that would probably be of most interest to the listener. So. But you mentioned smart speed, so I'll come back to that. The other system that the guys were jumping on on Instagram Live a minute ago is called Force Deck. So uh, if, obviously, if you studied sports science in university or you know maybe you're a physical therapist or strength coach, you may have had some exposure to force plates. But what those do, they're plates that you stand on on the ground. And through those plates, they're fancy kind of technology that can measure forces. And it allows us to tell a little bit about how an athlete's moving under the hood. In a really simple way, I can tell you how high an athlete is jumping, which is kind of interesting. That's one of the things they're testing. When we, when you look at a vertical test at an NFL combine, the way that they do that is the athlete stands flat-footed. They reach as high as they can, and usually, generally, athletes are told to kind of pack their shoulder down so you pretend like you can't reach much higher. That usually gives you an extra three, four inches. Um, so they measure your reach, and then you jump. And so they measure the, the difference, basically, between what you reached and how high you jump. There's a few kind of flaws in that. One of them is you pack your shoulders. The second one is when they measure your reach, you're flat-footed. But then when you take off from the ground, you're coming off your toes. So when you think about how high an athlete's actually jumping, they're generally not actually jumping as high as we see. You know, when it says somebody jumped 42 at the combine, technically they're not jumping 42 inches off the ground. Um, that's splitting hairs. But what Force Dex allows you to do, when you, when you look at these athletes jump, many times they're going to have their hands on their hips because we really want to focus on lower body power. Let's remove the arm swing out of it, keep it really controlled. It's great to know how high they can jump with an arm swing, but let's remove the arm swing out of it to keep things as narrow and you know as constrained as possible to evaluate this athlete's lower body power. And so what, what that allows the strength coaches to do is get a very, very tight measurement on how high this athlete is jumping right now. And if we see a you know few centimeter change, we can be confident that this athlete you know a few weeks later is actually jumping a few centimeters higher. Jump height is just one metric that comes from these plates. We can look at how much power an athlete's producing. Uh, we can look at how much power they're producing relative to their body weight. So we can kind of compare how does this three hundred pound lineman uh, how much power does he produce relative to his three hundred pounds versus a hundred ninety two pound wide receiver. And from there, we can, the, the, the force plates, I don't want to dive to, I know this isn't a sports science podcast, but they can tell a ton about an athlete differences in right and left leg. You know, are you landing with much more force on your left leg? Stuff like that's pretty cool. So that's force plates. They'll be evaluating. And granted, I haven't spoken to Sean about this specific combine. So I'm conjecturing that, yeah, they're, they're going to be looking at jump height and a few other relevant metrics like that on the force plates. And then you've got your smart speed. Those are the lasers that you see athletes running through at every combine, uh, NFL combine, and you know most MLB, etc. They're going to do exactly what they sound like. They're going to measure speed. And obviously, we can get different splits. So if it's a 40-yard dash, you can see what they looked at at 10 yards, 30 yards, 40 yards, etc. Um, so I'm sure they'll be using those to measure maybe a 40, could be you know a 10 and a 20 as well. 
so we hear data split speeds and you know they're landing one leg or whatever so i mean like okay let's just act like i don't have a clue i mean i'm a former collegiate athlete myself but let's just act like i don't have a clue because i don't really know who all of our listeners are they're probably like what does it matter right obviously data usually is typically a good thing right and the more of it potentially makes us smarter or better what we do but in these particular cases can you just kind of share with them why having the 10, the, you know, the maybe 20, 30, the breakdown, those splits, and why the, you know, the force of which they're landing, whether it be on one foot, how does that incorporate into the director of player personnel, these coaches sitting on the other end, trying to split the hairs of why that puts a player in a more positive light or uh, average, I mean, without getting into the whole crazy data printouts of how you'd get into it, but could you yeah. kind of share with us? Because I bet you they're like, okay, I get it. Data is good, but how is this good? And how can they possibly use it for their, for their own interest? Yeah. So there's a couple of ways. One, I mean, just in very simple terms, they're going to get a decent idea of an athlete's, you know, how much they can produce, how much force can this athlete produce? Let's get an objective measurement on that. Um, it gives benchmark data. So if they consistently are testing an athlete and then that athlete gets injured, they know kind of where was this athlete pre-injury? They can then look back and see if maybe there was anything that stuck out beforehand that they could have maybe assessed or managed better. Uh, but more importantly, let's just make sure to at least get you back to the the force that you could produce pre-injury. That's kind of cool. So there's, you know, your basic performance assessment of, you know, how much force can this athlete produce, et cetera. You know, how fast is this athlete? Objective data, very different than, you know, um, standard vertical jump test or a standard uh, hand timer. But then there's where it gets really interesting is management of athletes and groups of athletes over time. So I think there can be a disservice in the sports science community for well-meaning coaches to say something like, you know, stop getting so fancy with the data, just coach athletes. Like, yes, we all understand that you're not going to change the course of an athlete's training program based off of one assessment. But, and that's the same way that, you know, if, if anybody's ever taken their body weight every single day. What you'll notice is that you might eat super well. You might, you know, let's say you weigh 180 pounds. You start tracking your calories. You eat perfectly. You eat in a calorie deficit and tomorrow you weigh 182. You didn't actually gain two pounds at all. You actually lost some tissue, but some water weight would have come along. So we never evaluate, you know, changes to calories based off of one measurement of time. But if you look at uh, if you're tracking your calories over time and, you know, over a three month period, you ate an average of 2,600 calories a day and you lost three pounds, um, then we can pretty closely ascertain what your maintenance calories are from that point, because we have enough data in the same way with, with these elite athletes, when they're jumping on these force plates, for example, multiple times a week, sometimes one, two, three times a week, they're getting a constant read on their players in aggregate over time, over the course of a season. So they can start to look at, okay, I think when we, you know, include X amount of reps in practice, we tend to see fatigue start to set in at a greater rate with these athletes. Um, They can look at, you know, recovery timelines post game. They can start to make more informed decisions when you start to aggregate a ton of data uh, from multiple tests over time, you'll start to see drop off. If you see uh, common themes with athletes, you know, power is down 15% this week. I'm just using random numbers here. But again, just aggregation of data over time can lead to wiser programming decisions as a whole, because it's awesome if you could 
have an individual strength coach for every single athlete and every athlete was on their own program, you know, perfectly tailored to them, but that's just not how elite sport works. And so you kind of have to make global training decisions, decisions on field, how much time, how many reps people get in practice and, and objective data can help with that. So you mentioned having essentially a baseline, right? That kind of starting point for a player to look at later on down the road, whether it's injury related or whatnot. So if we're doing this today, and this would essentially be the first baseline that we're creating for whoever's participating at this combine, when's the next time that you guys would be setting up to do this? Is it at training camp when they actually get started in early January again? and is there another point? How frequent is that done? Is it weekly? Is it? Are you going to set up all season long at their hub in Arlington, Texas? I mean, I'm just curious because I, I wonder how you know that works. And I bet you that kind of helps our listeners understand also. Like, well, when you say baseline, well, how frequently are they being checked, or is it kind of on a needed basis if somebody feels like their production's just not quite where it needs to be, and they're trying to figure out where it kind of went off track? Yeah. So, and I don't want to speak for the XFL. But generally what we'll see is there'll be a couple times where all the athletes are all together from all the teams like they're doing right now. And, and XFL is pretty public about this. Uh, clearly they're on Instagram live right now. And then you tend to get a ton more value out of our systems when you're using them again on a hopefully weekly basis. So each of the individual teams, when they go off on their own, ideally we'll be testing their athletes at least once a week. Um, and maybe not all the assessments, but a few assessments. It's it's really easy to get like a, a counter movement jump, just a jump on the plates, three to five jumps and just track that data over time. So yeah, the, I'm still learning the the flow of XFL, but I know they're all reporting right now and they'll get data on everyone. And there should be maybe one other time throughout the year where they get data on everyone at the same time. Again, that's, that's my guess. I don't know. So this data, is this just obtained by the league, the team personnel? Is there any player ownership? Because in the past I had Steve Guerra from breakaway data and they believed it was important that even the players got all of their own data points is this something similar or is it just really more league and team obtained knowledge at this point i'm actually not sure how xfl wants to go about that i know that they have been really outward about you know wanting to take really good care of the players and you know carrie gordon their vp of of player health and performance uh she's been phenomenal to work with my exposure to carrie um, and they, they seem to place a lot of great care on making sure these athletes are well taken care of on the physical front, but also the psychological front of understanding where they're at. Um, but I'm not sure how they handle, you know, sharing data and stuff. It's really easy in the locker room to, when somebody jumps, at least tell them what their jump height was. You know, players get real competitive. Oftentimes teams will put a leaderboard up there. So you can see in real time, our, our software will upload this kind of leaderboard. And it's like, oh, Jamal just jumped higher than, you know, the last guy, which is pretty cool. Yeah, as a former collegiate athlete, we saw all that stuff. There was no secrets. Uh, it was almost a way to breed competition and you know, light a fire under somebody that kind of needed to get the most performance out of somebody one way or another, whether it's in training or for game time. Uh, <laughs> trust me, I, I, I get it, but I think it's just kind of interesting to share because we've heard how like all of a sudden players owning this and that and they have all these widgets on their phones. And I'm not saying every every company does everything identical because obviously there's differences and that's what makes the world go around. But it's always interesting to find out like just how front and center are these players aware versus, you know, and maybe maybe everything's not wise for a player to have because, you know, we can start to doubt ourselves. 
in a lot of different ways too. And I don't think, you know, non-athletes probably can think about that, but you know, not only are the teams dissecting every piece of information ahead of them, but the players doing it themselves too, because a player is looking for a competitive edge, not just from what the coaches are coaching them. And, you know, that's unfortunate why there's, you know, good ways in training or bad ways that people kind of look for, you know, performance enhancing things. But that's why that that exists because players do care. And obviously at this point where they're trying to break into the professional ranks, this has been their lifelong dream. This is everything that they've trained for everything. So that's, I just thought it'd be, you know, important to ask because, uh, you know, seems like something that the players would want, but yeah, the competition part, I, I totally relate with that, even though that's decades ago now for me. <laughs> that's what keeps it interesting. You know, we I've been involved in testing many teams. It'll be MLB organization, you know, where players don't want to jump. And then as soon as you start reading out scores, everybody, you all of a sudden see guys like practicing their counter movement jump over on the side before they go, they're like getting competitive. So it never hurts when you're helping people get a little competitive pre-testing. So what have I not asked, you know, because obviously I'm not the world's greatest researcher and I've, you know, had some talking points here, but what have I not asked? It's really important that you think to evolve for the company to have out there, um, whatever tied to this partnership with the XFL. So what is it that we're missing that probably is important to know? I would just say Vald's start was an elite sport. You know, every EPL team, almost all the NFL teams, obviously XFL, UFC, you know, the list, all the power five, almost every power five university. But where we've started to make an enormous impact over the last several years is in the health space, physical therapy, rehabilitation. And so the goal with the company is to to allow um, Johnny's PT shop on Main Street to have access to the same technology that the XFL is using. Uh, and not just the technology, but the underlying support to be able to interpret because somebody like, you know, the XFL, they'll have sports scientists on site to help them, you know, interpret in the meaning of some of the data and, you know, directions to to maybe shift based on the data. Uh, but, you know, Joe's PT shop might not. And so Vald is pretty committed to providing resources and support to those clinics um, I'm kind of doing like a sales pitch right now I, as I hear myself, but that's that's the, the major direction of the company right now. Obviously, we're kind of elite sport at our core, but you know, adopting our technology in the physical therapy space or health space has been huge. That's been like the massive kind of direction over the last few years. I get it. And it's not meant to give you a sales pitch, but it's a platform, whatever. But to get the information out there, because there's just so many differences. I mentioned breakaway data. There's companies like NeuroSync that I've had. Uh, it's just it's always interesting because there's ways I'm sure that these overlap, not in their total organizational aspect, but there, I'm sure there's ways they do. And do you guys ever like interact with other partners of, say, the XFL, the NFL, Major League Baseball? Or is it kind of like, here's your data. You guys can share that, obviously, because now you own it. You've essentially acquired it from us by having this partnership. But Or is there any overlap? And that kind of impacts the way that you guys approach things. Yeah, so there's Vald has, you know, eight plus different technologies now. And so we've created like this hub where if let's say you have all of our technologies, you can view this hub and compare data. So I've I've talked about force plates and I've talked about smart speed. You can look and see, you know, you can view data from force plates and smart speed right next to each other alongside other systems of ours that to see trends, et cetera. Um, so that's really cool. But obviously Vald doesn't own every single, as you mentioned. 
piece of sport and health technology in the world. And so what some organizations choose to do is either get some sort of athlete management system, which kind of pulls in data from Vald and other companies, and then so that they can kind of view data that way, or they do some custom coding if they have in-house engineers, et cetera. So technically, there are plenty of organizations and, and maybe even XFL to some degree that are merging our data with theirs, or at least viewing it alongside other companies. But we don't directly do that. We Obviously, we have plenty of interactions with these people because we see them in the, in the locker rooms and the facilities and stuff. Anything's a data point, right? And whatever is done with it, and there's always reasons to dissect it further, whether it's your guys' in-house and what you intended to use it for, or I'd see like the XFL and what are the partnerships they have and what they're trying to obtain with that. But it's always just, it's always intriguing. I mean, it, maybe it's not the most interesting thing to all the listeners out there, but I do think it's always one of those layers to the onion to peel back and to have a better understanding of what we're looking at because we get caught up on game day watching what's happening on the field, but there was so much that goes into it before that ball ever kicks off. And I think to have an understanding of, you know, well, so-and-so used to be, you know, the, on the depth chart, wherever, and now they're out of the mix and we don't hear anything. Well, there could be a number of factors in there other than just broke a team policy, broke curfew. Like we always hear about that type of stuff that makes the press and gets the headlines for whatever reason. But in this case, there's so much that's going behind here. And I mean, it's like you said, everyone's just looking to, get the most out of whoever they can and identify what those areas are. And it sounds like it. I mean, whether we understand it wholeheartedly or not, it definitely sounds like the case. Well, Stephen, I believe it's been a pleasure and I always love learning these things. So I really appreciate you taking the time to come on the show and discuss Vald's relationship with the XFL and its involvement, obviously this week's player combine. So thank you for doing that. Thanks for having me on. It's great. Before you go, I think it's, important to kind of put yourself out there if you want if you're looking for some social media followers but more importantly to get vold out there where can they find vold where can they find them on whether it's social media so they can learn some more if they're a little bit more intrigued we might have just kind of give them you know that little sample and now they kind of need to dive into it so where can they find you where can they find vold and get more information on the company and hopefully learn a little bit more about the xfl's partner yeah first step is understanding how it's spelled it's tough to hear over the air so it's like you have a bald head, but it starts with a V for Victoria. So Vald Performance, you can find us on Instagram, Vald underscore performance, or just go to Vald.com and you'll get in touch from there. And if you are like a physical therapy clinic or a team, um, there's plenty of ways you can get in touch with a local rep who will help you, you know, see the technology and all that. But yeah, that'd be the best place to start. And how about yourself? Are you looking for any social media followers? Or are you trying to stay a little bit more private? Yeah, if, if anybody, if there's one person out there interested, uh, my name is Stephen Borden, uh, Stephen with a V, B-O-R-D-E-N, Borden like the milk. Perfect. Thank you, Stephen. Cheers. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, you're welcome. I am grateful to have had the opportunity to connect and sit down with Stephen. I am always looking to pull back the curtain and learn more about what and how the XFL operates. My conversation with Steven provides further information as to how the league is committed to utilizing the latest technology and staying true to its innovative focus and roots. If you had the opportunity to tune into the Combine in Arlington, Texas, you would have seen some of Vault's technologies. If you are interested, the league has released most of the data from its testing and is available at XFL.com. As I have also previously mentioned, we will now be joined by XFL board writer Greg Parks to discuss the XFL Combine in Arlington, Texas. Welcome back, Greg. I once again appreciate you taking the time to return to the show and this time discuss the XFL Combine. 
Happy to be here, Mike. Always uh, happy to talk XFL with you. Oh, it is always a pleasure. So we know the XFL fan base has been vocal. They have essentially been begging for the league to broadcast or stream drafts, showcases, combines. Finally, you know, this past week, the XFL delivered on one of those by streaming back-to-back days of its combine. Mm-hmm. I understand you recently wrote a piece for XFL board about the event. And I'm sure a few of our listeners probably have read it. And I believe there's even a few that have not. So this either way will be a great conversation for those that may not have already seen or heard from one way or another, your opinions on the matter. So as somebody from the league or as somebody that follows and covers the league, shall I say, how important was this, for the league to provide coverage of its combine in the grand scheme of things, probably not that important. <laughs> and I know a lot of people are not going to be happy that I say that, but um, I, you know, for the diehards, absolutely, you know, throw them a bone every once in a while. And, and this was that bone that they threw us, right? We've been begging for some kind, as you mentioned, you know, cover the drafts live, cover, you know, the workouts live, that kind of stuff. Give us some content. Uh, you know, and this goes back to, to what Dana Garcia said when she first purchased the XFL, that she wanted this to be a 24-7 league, right? And she wanted, it, you know, it. I compare it to the NFL, how there's an off-season in the NFL, but it's not really an off-season because there's always news, there's always something going on, right? You know, even something as menial as the schedule release gets this whole big deal. And obviously the NFL is a beast unto itself. But those are the kinds of things that the XFL could be doing. Maybe not on that scale, but they could be doing that. And, and now that they have the first year in the books, it's in the rearview mirror. They're tweaking things instead of building things from the ground up. You hope to see more of this type of coverage moving forward. We're already seeing uh, advertisements for that 8-1 date, right? What's 8-1? You know, it's, it's all over the social media. They mentioned it. On the combine coverage, Sam Macho and KJ Sales, the host. So they've really been building some sort of big announcement on August 1st. And that's the next big step, right? And hopefully soon after there will be something else. But when you look at the numbers, uh, and I was following this on, on day one, I was able to tune in live for portions of day one. And I think all of day two, live anyway. I went back and watched some of day one later. But uh, day one approached a thousand viewers. And I don't know, you know, that was on YouTube. They may have had more on Facebook. They, it may not be counting those who watched through XFL.com. I don't know exactly how that works, but close to 1,000 on day one. They were at 300, 400, I think, for most of day two. I don't think they really got a lot higher than that. So, you know, when you're, you're catering to that size audience, you know, what, what's the real takeaway, right? The, the real takeaway is it's the diehard. It's the, and we saw a lot of people in the chat who, were relatives of those who were working out. They wanted to see more of number so-and-so or talk to number so-and-so because they knew that person. So, you know, it's the diehards, it's the people who knew the people trying out. So, you know, in terms of importance, that's why I say probably not much because it didn't draw a lot of eyeballs live. Maybe they got some viewers later on, but still, I think it's a good step forward for the league to at least test out the infrastructure for something like this. I thought it came across pretty well overall uh, so that you can maybe do more of these events, maybe on a bigger scale even, or maybe just on YouTube, building that XFL YouTube channel, building that brand moving forward. 
Yeah, I look at this and I mean, there's a, several different ways to look at it, right? You can, it's my own viewpoint. It's what you hear from others. And you kind of, again, try to look at it from the viewpoint of just, all right, what does the NFL do, right? They're king. And you're so right on that. That's that's the measuring stick the NFL has created. You know, it's not just because it's the king of all sports, but you just have me the same sport and you're a professional sport. And that's what people are always going to, you know, compare you to. So, you know, looking at it, yes, it's important because there's been people that wanted it. And you mentioned about the viewership, you know, and it's not quite probably what they thought they were going to get after hearing all of these people clamoring that this is exactly what was needed. They probably anticipated, you know, 50,000 or something at least. To, 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 to be fair, t- uh, 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. on a weekday, kind of difficult <laughs> difficult to, to draw numbers on, on that time of day. A hundred percent. I know we keep looking at the broadcasting figures, right? And that key demographic. And maybe they were hoping for those high school age kids and maybe college age kids. And probably, you know, just hoping that there's enough people that are younger that are not into that typical nine to five job. They might be working nights, weekends, whatever that it was going to work out for them. Well, for whatever reason, it did not. And this doesn't mean that this was a failure. Okay. We can look at this from a bunch of different things. You have to start from someplace. Right? There is a starting point and there is a learning curve. We didn't have necessarily ESPN or let's say the Walt Disney Company and its broadcasting partners broadcast it. And it doesn't mean we even had it on ESPN Plus, which I think would have been an ideal platform for it. But again, paywall. It doesn't guarantee that anybody else is going to be tuning into that just because it's behind a paywall either. But it just seems like, you know, with all of their social media channels and the way to be able to go live on some of these, it just seems like the reach. Could have been a little bit better had they maybe tweaked it a little bit. And I'm not acting like I'm an expert in that area, but it just seems like they could have done a little bit. And this isn't meant to pile on to the league. And I know this is where probably most people are like, oh, come on here. Are we really going to do this? It is a good thing. We started with something because we didn't have the rookie draft live, right? But you had to start someplace and they elected to do this. And this is where I'm going to give the league props. Because, Greg, if you recall in 2022, when we were up at Bradington for the Florida Showcase, how much we were told to essentially only do certain things, right? We were mm-hmm. giving a blueprint of what we could do and what we couldn't do, even when there was like names of players and they were being very, I want to say secretive as to who was attending their showcases and stuff. Well, this time around that secrecy was literally thrown right out the window. Right. So, I mean, like the, I get it. They got the league off the ground, got their first season underway. And so they did more than peel back the curtains. Heck, we got to see video, maybe not as much of the event that I like to see itself, but we got to see some coverage and people, right? We got mm-hmm. to see the information coming out on the website with the players and in, in essentially giving out how they scored and testing. So, I mean, it's not like, okay, hey, this is just who's here. This is also how they did. So, yeah, if the USFL or whoever else wanted to come in and take a look, uh, you, you pretty much told them who were the cut above the others that attended your showcase mm-hmm. and they're at the combine. And then, Hey, this is how they did at the combine against those others that are at the combine. So they're not holding back anymore. They are opening up the curtain. And I think it for full disclosure. And I mean, that's something the league needs to be 100%, I think applauded for at this point. That's what people want to know. They want to know who's there and how do they stack up? And I mean, what are your thoughts on that? 
I was surprised, you know, we had uh, Doug Whaley was on the live broadcast, and I think one of the questions from the chat that they asked him was about, are you going to release the, the data and the numbers from the combine? And he basically said, yeah, that's proprietary information for us and for our DPPs. We're not going to release that. And then they go and really, you know, it's not 40-yard dash times, it's not three-cone drill times, but it's that innovative technology numbers that the XFL is using that maybe other leagues are not. So if you're the USFL, you can look at that and, and say, yeah, you know, here are the top five guys. I may want to poach some of these guys, but the data probably doesn't mean a lot to them. They can't compare it to any of the other guys they're looking at because this is data, I guess, is only being used by the XFL. So maybe they felt more comfortable sharing that data because without context, maybe it would be harder to, to get a good read on, on how these players really do. Um, so that was definitely a positive. I was I was surprised, especially after Doug Whaley's comments that they released those numbers and even, you know, some of the participants, even though we've known quite a few ahead of time anyway, uh, based on social media posts and things like that. Um, so, yes, I, I do think they deserve credit for that. Um, and that credit lasted about 12 hours because late last night they... <laughs> Posted a bunch of uh, transactions on their website and and roster additions with no mention of how they came to be or you know anything like that. And these are some pretty big former NFL names. There's former first round draft picks in there, players who spent significant time in the NFL who are all of a sudden populating rosters on the team website. And it's like, okay, like where are these guys coming from? Like, come on, be be open with us. Be honest. You know what what happened here. And so that was disappointing. <laughs> we can get into it a little bit later if we have time. I wonder how much is it that one arm of the company or the organization is thinking and doing one thing and how much of another arm of the organization or company is thinking and doing another I could buy that, Mike. I could buy that for year one. I could buy that for the lead up to year one. I could buy that even during year one because everything's brand new. We're in the off season now. They've gone through executive meetings. You know, you have to imagine that each department has kind of taken stock of their year one performance. Look ahead to year two. What do they want to do? So the idea that that's still happening is not where you want to be if you're the XFL. And, and I'm not saying that's what happened. These are, maybe the XFL just thought it was insignificant because these are not guys who have signed. These are only rights that are claimed by the teams. And we saw one of them being Anthony Gordon for the Arlington Renegades, who's long been a player that uh, spring football fans have wanted to, to take part. And, you know, after that was discovered and posted on Twitter, Anthony Gordon went on Twitter and said, hey, this is fake news. I'm retired. So, you know, maybe the, the league didn't want to get people's hopes up. Maybe they just put that out there because that is their version of transparency. And they may not think it's a big deal until those contracts are signed that, you know, a lot of these players, even though they're claimed, they may not show up to training camp. They may not sign with the XFL. They may decide to go in a different direction with their career. So that's kind of my own thinking about why they didn't make a bigger deal of it, but it's still frustrating as someone who likes to follow this kind of stuff to just have this thrown out there with, with no context of how this came to be. Yeah. I mean, they did put it on their website, right? So that's throwing it out there. Mm -hmm. And yes, 
Twitter does or social media does what it's going to do, and that's take it and run with it. That's what mm-hmm. we all do. It doesn't matter if we are alternative football media members for websites, podcasts, whatever it is, or just accounts that are focused on just sharing whatever news they, they get. I get it. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where these contexts, there should be a little bit more coming from the league to help yeah. not let that speculation go any further than it needs to, because it's the speculation and where it right. eventually runs is what gives the black eye. Because initially the post would be like, okay, they could have put like a little asterisk next to it, just, you know, league rights or something like that. They could have done a little bit more on the website, but it's the speculation. And you know, we already know there's a divide between there are serious hardcore XFL fans and there are serious hardcore USFL fans. And there's just people in the, that are fans of both that want just football. And we know that it's the extremes are going to go back and forth on each other forever. Little, whatever little black eye they can kind of, or whatever shade they can cast. So, but we'll, we'll focus more on the, on the combine because I do feel like there, there's a good amount there because if I recall correctly, I believe it was Wednesday's broadcast where David Dykeman had shared how this technology and we knew in year one, they were using breakaway data and I'm not certain. I didn't see any breakaway data. Set up, so it looks like now it's bald and catapult is maybe the main focuses as far as the technology that, you know, this time around, but they mentioned how it is important to use this because, and I didn't really think about it that much when you use the term bias and we use bias all the time in life, but he was just talking about the bias as far as who's on that end of the stopwatch, who's mm-hmm. on, you know, on the end of whatever that measuring and, and whatever tips they may give to one guy or not another, you know, whatever. And I'm like, huh, I'm not going to go into this too far, but I thought that was interesting because technology just gives you the raw numbers, right? It's going to, read your start and your stop exactly as you crawl, you know, kind of start, you know, and it's going to catch those segments perfectly where, you know, human error, it's not, whether it's a bias mm-hmm. or not, just human error tied into stopwatches. And, you know, I thought that was pretty interesting. And, you know, I don't know how much that really makes a difference at the end of the day when people are putting together all the data, but maybe bead the right, you know, verticals, because they were talking about how they measure the vertical different. It's more of a true vertical compared to how the traditional old school way of doing things are in, I mean, any thoughts on that? Yeah. I think you see that with the NFL combine every year, right? You have the NFL networks 40 time that, you know, goes across the bottom live when a guy is running. And then later on, it's sort of corrected to the official time. And that can be as little as four hundredths of a second, say, but that four hundredths of a second is the difference between a four, three, eight 40 and a four, four, two 40. So you're either four three guy or a four four guy, and you know that can make a, a big difference in the perception of how scouts look at you and you know things like that. So with this kind of data that you're talking about and that David Dykeman talked about, you're taking that out of it, right? You have one solid time. There's no, as you mentioned, the stopwatch. Nobody's clicking a little faster. Nobody's clicking a little slower or anything like that. And you know the other aspect to it is I'm sure we'll get into as well is. You know, they had Sean Hayes on there, who's the director of player performance for the league. And they had KJ Sales doing examples of the workouts, which I thought was fascinating. You know, Sean Hayes mentioned we use this data not only to to scout and to measure players against each other when making roster decisions and, and things like that. But we also use this in recovery from injury, because now you have a baseline for this number. And if we do this again and you're hurt, 
and we see that you're not reaching that baseline, that tells us you still need time. You may be feeling good and you may be ready to go in, but the numbers are saying otherwise, let's hold you out another week or something like that. So any data, more data that you have to make better decisions for your team and for the health of your players, the XFL is embracing that, which I love. Kudos to Hayes for sharing that, but it kind of diminished my guest that's also on this episode with you, Stephen Borden from Vald, to discuss that type of information he was sharing, the, how it's also going to be used in baselines and stuff. So yeah, uh, Hayes, get it out to the masses a little bit more than probably who's going to catch it on my thing, but I thought I had an interesting interview <laughs> with Stephen Borden that was going to potentially help shed some light on things, but you know, Hayes did what he should have done, right? And that's probably what this type of event was ideal for to give you a closer look at some of that technology and the uses mm-hmm. behind it. Because again, the league's a league of innovation and they're going to keep proving why they're on top of it and how they use what type of testing or data to aid them, not only in today for the combine, not only for the day when they got to make cuts, when they're looking at X, Y, and Z and it's factored into the, you know, the, the mass data that they have, uh, you know, when it gets down to getting the rosters where they need to be. But I mean, it also kind of comes down to, you know, two weeks in the half season, mm-hmm. just before playoffs and figuring out where people are and they can see if somebody needs the rest, like Stephen Borden had mentioned, that these guys may need at some point. You may just need to rest them an extra day or two because they're not at their peak performance. So maybe you're just pushing, you know, too much. But you can see that across the board too, if it's a large number of guys versus one-offs, right? One or two guys, it might just seem like they're kind of, but it is interesting because that is, a, you know, we get in this world of data, right? Everything's in our phone, right? We get all, you know, your Apple health and all these different things if you want it. Well, the average person doesn't know how to necessarily use that information in their daily lives, but it's there. Well, here they're explaining how the league has invested into the player with innovation, with the technology to help the player at the end of the day, because that's what, that's what they're here for. They're in, in to improve the football that we're going to see. It's hard to understand maybe, you know, just in, in passing, but if you start to look at it, yeah, it's pretty intriguing. I think it's, mm-hmm. it's exciting. And it just tells us, okay, it's one thing to say it. It's one thing to do it in year one. Well, here they're still, excuse me, practicing what they preach and, and heading yeah. towards year two. I guess the other thing is, I know you, you wrote that article and not to kind of dig into your article too much, because I want people to go read it. Uh, you know, that's the whole purpose of having somebody like you on here is that you have your own takes and things. But, you know, we think about showcases, combine, here, year two. And, you know, they're always turning over every stone trying to find that talent. And that's another just big talking point the league has had is always saying we are going to look everywhere. We're going to find the best of what is available. And obviously, they probably didn't have to do all this this year round, mm-hmm. but they did. They're still committed. We can argue what the expenses in that, right, for a startup that's trying to potentially get the books in line in year two to set up for a, a very good year three. But it, what are your thoughts? I mean, is it still because it's so early on that it is important to still do this and we'll figure out where we get if we're blessed to have a year three and year four? to maybe then maybe reevaluate it? I mean, is it is it wise? Is it like, well, you know, I just don't know. I mean, because I, I look at it, and I'm, I'm kind of torn, to be honest with you. Yeah. 
I think there are pluses and minuses. Um, you know, you you wonder, and again, I get it for last year because you were starting from scratch and you really weren't sure how many NFL pedigreed guys you were going to get. So you wanted to make sure you had your eyes on as many players as possible in case you needed to call upon them to fill out rosters if you didn't get the players maybe that you were looking for or the level of players. It turns out they, they got that. And we saw uh, several players from showcases dot rosters all last year. Not a ton, especially when you consider how many showcases they put on and how many players went to these showcases uh, at $250 a pop, which is probably not bad for the league. Um, you know, the other thing is they're running this in conjunction with American National Combines, who's supplying a lot of their personnel for this too. So I, I don't know what the monetary split is there between those two. But I think if you are pushing yourself as a league of opportunity, and that is the credo of the XFL, then you kind of have to embrace these types of things year after year. I think the XFL combine is going to be a yearly thing. It wouldn't surprise me if the showcases leading into the combine were a yearly thing. I think it's good to get the league out there and you know, they, they do get some press from this. We've seen articles written on schools, websites, and then local newspapers when the, you know, this local high school star, this local college, small college star is, is attending the XFL combine or attending an XFL showcase. So that kind of coverage is a positive for the league as well. And, you know, it may be one of those deals where, Hey, if we find five or six guys who can contribute to a roster, it makes it worth it. I don't know what the financials are. I don't know how much they've set aside for this type of thing. I don't know how much it costs versus how much they make back in the showcases from the, from the fees that they charge for participating in them. But clearly it's even as the league is sort of tightening its purse strings in some ways. And Danny Garcia mentioned that in her um, media availability prior to the combine where they're moving some personnel from full-time to seasonal, they still found money in the budget to run the, these showcases to run the combine, which may not have cost them as much because they did it in Arlington where they have the, the hub. So, you know, as long as it's not bleeding them dry financially, uh, I think it's probably a good move. When it comes to those moves, right. Shifting full-time part-time and whatnot, you know, there's always that stigma of what that means for a league, right? Oh, geez. You know, it doesn't look good, but, where they haven't cut is the product, right? They're focused on the mm-hmm. football. And I'm not saying that anything else is not important, right? Marketing, ticket sales, it all is important, right? It's all going to impact at the end how the product is viewed on game day for those are in attendance or who they're watching from home. I understand that. But if you spent all the money there and you start cutting corners on the football aspect, you're not going to be in business long anyway. So, they are focused on what their business is, and it's the football. That's what people are tuning into, and, I, and I'm and i glad. We'll have to see how it plays out. You're done. But I, I do agree that it, being a league of opportunity and that player 54 moniker, I do think they have to continue doing this. Maybe they don't do you know as many showcases leading up to a combine. Maybe not, but there's going to be something. There's going to have to be you know, moving forward. And, and I don't know how they do that 
because they're not necessarily focused on the markets that they're in. Some of them happen to be luckily in their their team markets, and other ones are not. Mm-hmm. You know, like Arizona, back to back years. So that you know that's interesting. And you one way or another doing the HBCU, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I mean, maybe they could find an HBCU that's you know affiliated or closer to one of their their markets, and and kind of make that a, is a double mm-hmm. benefit for them. But you know, whatever. We'll have to see how that plays out as the years. You know if we're blessed with years to come. So <laughs> it's a good way to put it. <laughs> so sometimes it feels like, cause you have year two, there's going to be a year three, but Hey, the world is forever evolving. The landscape continues to change. And we had a pandemic that changed a whole lot of things in our lives. So let's not act like we know what the norm is. And we know spring mm-hmm. football has, you know, ultimately struggled anyway. So we'll have to see, but with the combine, I think one last thing I want to talk about is the production of it how we actually viewed it. And I'm not just talking about being on YouTube and we can split hairs on all that. But I think the way that they actually, the product that we saw as we tuned in, as we looked on our phone screens or computer screens, wherever we may have been, what were your thoughts? I mean, we had, obviously you said KJ and we had Acho front and center and they did a lot of interviews there, you know, <laughs> walked around and I, you know, they obviously had the viewership, engagement they were doing with their questions and stuff. I mean, I thought I saw a lot of that. There was some interviews with the combine participants. There were some images and I, I think it feel, to me, it felt like a third of the time where I actually saw combine activities going on, not like where they were focused solely in on the interview of the person in front of us or cutting mm-hmm. out the other clips they may have been showing. Maybe my assessment was wrong. On it being a third of the time actually seeing combine activities, like where they're running the drills. What was your thoughts on the actual production, the product that we saw from it? I thought it was really well done. I, I thought that there was a good mix of talking to players, talking to coaches, all the coaches who were there who were interviewed over the two days, a lot of the DPPs. I liked how we heard from folks that we don't usually hear from, like Sean Hayes, like David Dykeman. So that was refreshing. I thought KJ and Acho did a very good job as hosts. I thought they were, you know, they kept the enthusiasm up for three hours in that Texas heat, which is not easy to do, you know? So I thought it was, it was really well done. If you were looking for NFL combine coverage, as I wrote in my column, you were probably disappointed. I mean, this was not stick a camera on the 40 yard dashes and watch 200 players or a hundred players go through it. I mean, it, it just wasn't that. And maybe some people wanted that, but you got to remember, you know, the folks that are in the NFL Combine, those players are first, second, third round draft picks who are going to contribute immediately. People know their names. They're all very well known uh, to the people watching it. That's not the case with these guys. And so I don't know how much attraction there really was. You know, it's it's sort of like a... Um, it's a niche of a niche, right? The niche for this is actually tuning into the combine. And the niche of that is actually wanting to see every player go through every drill. You know, how many people really care about that kind of stuff when so many of these players are just not known to the general populace the way that NFL combine athletes are. And people tune in and say, yeah, I watch them, you know, every Sunday, LSU, whatever like that. I mean, these guys are Hastings College and things like that. I mean, I, I couldn't name where a lot of these colleges, what even state they're in. So, you know, I, I think the way that the XFL did it and, and the XFL 
has been about, look, we want to get, we want to showcase personalities. We want these players to have an opportunity to show who they are. And we got to do that with the combine participant interviews. We got to do that through, you know, KJ sales hosting. I, I know that when I watch him on the defenders games, I'm going to look at him differently having seen him host this event and same thing with the coaches. You know, we, they talked to all the coaches, asked some really good questions of them. I think that was better time spent than it would have been having a stationary camera watching players go through drills. I agree. I mean, it's like you had to do something different, right? Or else you just, it's copycat. And that's not exactly what the XFL has been. It hasn't been a copycat of everything that's come ahead of it. And maybe some people think it has, it is. But to me, it is every iteration, 2001, 2020, now 2023, now moving into 2024. It's always been about innovation. It doesn't matter who's owned the league. It's always been about innovation. And yep. that's been different. And that kind of needs to be what it needs to be moving forward. Or else you kind of lose what you, I think, how most of us view the league. But, I mean, I, I guess when I watched it, they had the ability to do some split screen or the smaller screen. with it, And I just kind of wish they would have done a little bit more of that. But I sure. agree there's a reason why they probably did it. They didn't give out all information, like you said. So if if we have every player lined up for their 40 and we see their start, you know, them starting or finishing their time pops up with their name on the screen, one, you just gave it out, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're not trying to do that, right, well, this is how you kind of protect it. Two, there's a lot more on the back end for production that would have to go into if you're really going to sure. pr- put together even like just little screenshots of the player, where they're from, their size, or whatever. And then how far do you want to go on a startup? And even though they're going into year two, they're still a business startup. You know, there's no uh-huh. guarantees like we keep alluding to, and it doesn't mean we're expecting it to fail. We have to be honest about this is in-house. The Walt Disney Company and its broadcasting partners did not put this on. So it's not like all that information and all those, you know, people on the back end were all sitting there waiting to put this all together. So I mean, I, I did get to see a couple glimpses of what the back room looked like, right? The production. Yeah. When you saw it, the was, it was not a, a major television production truck, you know? <laughs> but it was actually surprising. I, I thought it wouldn't have been even that from what yeah. I was originally seeing. And not to take a shot, there's a couple like, you know, jittery cameras early on and like the mics not working day one where, you know, like it was very faint. You could hear. Danny Garcia talking to the, the participants in front of her. And I was like, oh, okay, here we go. And, but it got better. It's just like, okay, okay. They don't typically do this every day. They're coming around. They're going to figure out. But then I'm like, I would, so as that started out, I wasn't expecting to see. So when I saw the multiple multi-screen on this big screen, then they had like two of those big screen. I'm like, oh, okay. This is a little bit more elaborate. They have a couple of different shots that they're easily switching to. So it wasn't like, okay, we had just one or two guys walking around with a handheld camera. Right, they were set up. They actually had some investment into this, but if they would have gone much further, just imagine how much more that would have cost them. And what's the return and, and on that initial investment? Exactly, it's the return on investment. Like it, it's it's the graph with the two lines meeting, right? And so if they did all of that stuff and went to the expense of all of that, how many more viewers really would they attract? Right. So you you have to weigh those. And I think they, I think overall the production that they put on was unique. And um, I think it was a a cool peek behind the scenes uh, in a lot of different ways. It also gives me hope of what could come next. 
if they're going to continue streaming stuff, whether it be drafts, whatever, whether it may be, you know, stuff from camp when they get, get to it in January, if they do, it gives me hope that, okay, well, they've got some equipment. They've kind of figured some things out. I mean, they're invested enough to do this. What more could happen? So I'm hopeful. I mean, and yeah. I think that's what most people that have been craving this type of information or this type of uh, access, like you said, I think that's, it's encouraging. So I am, and I, well, I don't know how many other people are, maybe other people are not, but I mean, Hey, if I am, that's gotta be good, bold well for the league, right? That at least yeah. somebody is uh, excited about what could be next. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Greg, as always, it has been a pleasure, and I appreciate you taking the time in return to have another conversation, this time about the combine and, heck, even whatever little news broke about those assigned players. So, Yeah, absolutely, Mike. Always a pleasure talking to you. Oh, likewise. Well, why don't you go ahead and throw yourself out there? Uh, you know, where can they find your work? You know, definitely that article that you just re- recently wrote. So where can they find it and follow you? Yeah, uh, I write for xflboard.com. Uh, I usually have a couple uh, columns out every week, and, and that's even in the offseason, which is not what I expected, but <laughs> there's there's enough content for me to cover. I um, on, on Thursday, I um, or Friday, I guess it was now, put out a column looking at things we learned from the Combine live stream. A lot of it we talked about here today. Uh, in the coming weeks, I've got a couple columns coming out uh, looking at the deepest positions on NFL teams during training camp. These are positions where I think uh, XFL teams could get some quality players because there's going to be some good players cut from these uh, positions uh, when it comes down to roster cut time. And then after that, I will, uh, once NFL depth charts are put out before the first preseason games, I'll take a look at where XFL 2020 and XFL 2023 players fit into those depth charts and take a look at how they've progressed um, based on that through camp so far. So a lot of cool stuff still coming up uh, for XFL board, even during the offseason. Yeah, it's all intriguing to see who's played in the league here, going to the NFL, who might be coming back, who else might be surprising cuts that might be an opportunity to come to a league like the XFL. So if you're not following Greg, by all means, find him on Twitter and follow him because he always has great content and the way that you dive into things i don't want to say you're the only one that does it but you are one of less than five people that dive into (laughs) things the way that you do so you are definitely worth the follow so i highly recommend it and i'm not just trying to you know put you on a soapbox i mean i truly believe that you do amazing work that's why i love having you come on every so often just to kind of get your takes and you know it's always refreshing to have you know other diehards of people that are really committed to the league and diving into things the way that you do. So once again, thank you at Greg M parks on Twitter, by the way. Yes. (laughs) Follow it. It's definitely, you won't be disappointed. You might get a little wrestling stuff, but Hey, Uh, yeah. So wrestling and XFL basically is it. (laughs) Well, until next time, Greg. All right. Thanks, Mike. It is always a pleasure having Greg as a guest. He is insightful and I value his opinion which is why he was the ideal person to sit down to have an honest conversation about the multiple day event. Unfortunately, we do not have any fan line messages this week. If you have an XFL related comment, question, or hot take, and would like it to be heard on the show, reach out to the fan line by calling 863-TALK-XFL or 863-825-5935. Doing so, your message could be included in an upcoming episode. 
Perez. Colby Pearson breaks the tackle, and there he goes. All good things must come to an end. This concludes another episode of Player 54 Podcast. As always, I am interested in receiving your feedback. So do not be a stranger. Reach out to let me know your thoughts. And if you do so, your comments might just make it on the show. But before you go, do not forget to subscribe and rate the show on your platform of choice. One last thing. If you are interested in checking out our friends over at True Victory, do not forget to click on the link in the show's description and notes, as well as that sweet code, PLAYER54, for 15% off your purchase. Thank you for tuning in. Till next time, cheers. Thank you for tuning into today's show. Don't forget to subscribe and rate Player 54 Podcast on your platform of choice. You can follow the show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Player 54 Podcast. Do you have a question or topic you would like to have addressed on the show? Message the show via social media or send an email to player54podcast at gmail.com.